Uh, Let's pray briefly. Father, into your hands we commit each other now as we engage with your word. We thank you that there's this wonderful opportunity for us to hear your word, to receive your word, and to obey your word. May that happen right now. By your spirit, come among us, we ask it, for your glory and for our good. Amen. So, as we come towards the end of chapter 6 of uh, Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount, we've got to ask ourselves a few questions. Do we really want the Bible to transform the way we think and the way we live? Because if we take the teaching of the Bible seriously, it will transform our lives. If we don't take the teaching of the Bible seriously, we will remain unchanged. Informed we might be, yes, of course, but transformed, extremely unlikely. God wants us to be informed. God wants us to be transformed. In a sense, that's what he wants to do in our hearts right now as we sit here, not to be entertained, not just to, in a sense, waste another half an hour of your life. He wants us to be informed and transformed. He wants us to be equipped for life and for ministry. So he gives us his word, he gives us his spirit, and he gives us his body, the church. How much do we want this word-based, spirit-driven transformation? That's the question. Do we want it? Do we want it when it comes to dealing with things like treasure and masters? Do we want it? Some years ago, there was an article in one of the broadsheets about our contemporary society. It was very interesting. And it claimed, not so surprisingly, of course, that the vast number of people want money and lots of it. The vast number of people in our land want the things that money can buy, possessions, stuff. And I quote, top of everyone's priority list for a job is money. Most people are realists and unashamed materialists. They see their success as solely dependent on their own efforts. Status, power, happiness reside in acquiring wealth. And of course, this is the world we live in, isn't it? This is the world that shapes us and influences all the time. But here's what we need to understand. Jesus expects his people to reject and renounce the value systems of a bankrupt, broken, dying world. That's what he wants us to do. And he's horrified when we just join in the um, chasing after materialism and self-love. And so he informs us and he tells us what the alternatives are. He lays them before us very simply in this part of the sermon. And he longs to transform us. And so he tells us there are two treasures. Yeah, two. And we've got to choose which one, whether it be earthly or heavenly. And there are two visions, whether it be darkness or or light. And there's two masters, money or God. So he tells us what they are. And he tells us you can't sit on the fence. You can't actually have both. You've got to make a choice. I suppose it's a bit of the echo of um, Elijah on Mount Carmel. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal 
is God, then follow him. That's the choice. And I suppose we need to be honest. I mean, I've struggled with this all week. And, and um, here's two things that, that really struck hard home in my heart. Worldly ambition has a strong fascination for us, doesn't it? Worldly ambition. We're fascinated by it. And the spell of materialism is cast over us and is very hard to break. It can only be broken by the Spirit of God working in our lives. That's why we need Jesus to talk about these things. That's why we need Jesus to preach about these things. Because, let's be honest, it is the hidden sin in many a Christian's life, as well as non-Christian hearts. And yet what he's warning us here, of course, I think is this. That this worldliness, this materialism can paralyze us. It can destroy our faith. It can destroy our service. I suppose over the years in, in, in doing the pastoring of people, I've discovered a few truths, I suppose. I'm slow to learn. I'm only learning these things recently, but if or when our spiritual lives are poor, and that can happen, can't it, very often, it is hard, what I find is that people tend to blame other people or other things. And very often it can be, oh, it's a lack of time, I just have had more time. I think I could be a stronger Christian. Or um, it's the pressure of work. Or it's the pressure with my young children or with my aging parents. Or very often, too, another excuse that people make is, you know, if, you, if you only knew what I had to face when I grew up, what I was taught, how I was maybe spiritually abused, or even worse, if you only knew, you would know why I'm struggling. And there might be some truth in some of those areas, but I would say the root problem for me, for you, for most of us is this. It's a love of things. It's a love of the world. And we're going to see tonight as we come into Revelation 18 that actually the world will be destroyed, judged by God, and revealed for what it is. Nothing. Nothing. So Jesus graciously teaches us to choose well. Choose well, he says. He offers us these Alternatives, treasure, visions, and master. And he says, I want you to take the good and reject the bad. Let's think, first of all, therefore, of this contrasting uh, choice of, of treasure in verses 19 to 20. Well, let's read it again. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So Jesus here, in a sense, is contrasting the durability between two types of treasure, and he says it's futile, it's crazy, to store up for yourselves treasure on earth, which is perishable, when you could and should be storing up treasures in heaven, which is imperishable. So again, simple two points. Earthly treasure is perishable. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, often this um, teaching is misunderstood, maybe even misrepresented 
uh, and misinterpreted. Jesus is not saying, okay, not saying, don't have treasure. He's not saying, don't have bank accounts. He's not saying, don't have savings. If required, honestly, there's no problem in having money or land or animals or houses or clothing and other possessions. Because Jesus um, believes the book of Proverbs. He wrote it. (laughs) And Jesus believes in his own parables. There's lots about having talents and using them well. For example, Jesus does not say that saving for a rainy day is forbidden. On the contrary, he, um, he would know that Scripture praises the ant for storing up in summer the food that it needs for the winter. That's Proverbs 6. Jesus would also know what the Spirit was going to inspire Paul to write to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5, that a Christian who makes no provision for his family is worse than an unbeliever. So he knows all that. So what exactly is Jesus forbidding? Jesus is forbidding this selfish accumulating of goods, you know, kind of a extravagant living, a materialism that ties our hearts to here and now, and all we can think about is more and how we're going to spend it, how we're going to enjoy it, how we're going to pass it on. It's greedily grabbing stuff. That's what he is against. That's what he is forbidding. And he's also, of course, stealing, or he's also forbidding stealing from God, which is again a problem, is it not, for many a Christian? Stealing from God. See, all of these things indicate that we are storing up treasure on earth rather than storing up treasure in heaven. Our hearts are basically in a mess. But let's get balance here. And I think actually John Wesley um, was right when he, he said this. He told his people to uh, earn all you can, give all you can, and save all you can. I think when, when he was uh, in business, in the preaching business, when he started off getting um, his pay, he, he, lived, he lived on basically the same amount year after year, but got more, and he just gave away more. So he, there's nothing wrong with earning all you can. There's nothing wrong with giving all you can. And certainly you should also save some of it as well. So let's think about this. Earn all you can. Some do have the gift of leading or organizing work. They are entrepreneurs. Um, and you have the duty to earn for yourself all that you can. And you also have the responsibility to help other people earn what they can. That's what keeps society going. There's nothing wrong with that. Use your gifts, earn your money. But the more you have been given, the more you're expected to give. So we've got to be generous. We can bless the poor. We can bless the church. We can divest of ourselves and save all you can. Be careful so that you will not be dependent on others. But remember, it's all perishable. That's the point here. Because moth or rust will destroy it eventually, and there's a clear chance that a thief will break in and steal it. So while we can make all we can and give all we can and save all we can, we've got to remember, that's not our primary focus. That's not what we're supposed to be about. Because earthly treasure is perishable, while heavenly treasure is imperishable. Verse 20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. We, we're to build an empire, yes. We're, we're supposed to be an empire-building business, but not on earth. 
in heaven. Now, we're not told exactly what Jesus meant here. Probably he meant the development of a Christ-like character. That's what will last forever. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that of all the things that will pass away, three things will not pass away. Faith, hope, and love. That's what we should be investing in. Because that's going to last forever and forever. Evangelism is probably also what Jesus had in mind, leading people to Christ. Because, you know, the soul that's saved is going to live forever in the presence of God. Proverbs 11, verse 30, He who wins souls is wise. It's wise work to be involved in, to be investing in. Discipleships and other things. Seeing people grow in the knowledge of Christ. Because one day we're going to meet Jesus face to face. That's treasure in heaven, is it not? And of course, the active use of money or gifts or time for Christian causes. Proverbs is brilliant, isn't it? Proverbs 19, this is one that I, I, really, I've, I've read Proverbs many times, I never really gripped my heart this one, but Proverbs 19, verse 17, he who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. That's how he sees it. We actually lend back to him what is his. So invest in the kingdom, because it alone is the thing that will endure. And the third thing that Jesus says in verse 21, of course, is that our hearts follow our treasure. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, we direct our hearts, and therefore we will be responsible for the direction of our hearts. We're always laying up treasure. Every single one of us. The question is where? Here? Or there? Because if you invest in the wrong place, Jesus says, it'll cause you heartache. It'll cause you a spiritual heart attack. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our hearts chase after our treasure. So we've got these two contrasting treasures. We've got to choose wisely, says Jesus. Because if you choose foolishly, you will reap the reward. You will potentially make a mess of your life. And then he goes on to talk about contrasting visions or the ability to see, verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he moves from the durability of the treasures that we seek to thinking about how we actually see the treasures that are on offer around us. Now, almost all that we do depends on our ability to see. Our eyes, in a sense, illumine the body. And so we can see what we have around us on offer. Course blind people can often cope so well without sight, but here the point seems to be, a simple and beautiful point, that the eye is pictured like a window allowing light in to the body, into the heart. And I suppose we might say that um, if the eye window, imagine your eyes are like windows, if the eye window is clear and clean and undistorted, then light 
floods into the room of our heart and illuminates every corner. So the light comes in through our eyes and our hearts are lit up. But if the eye window is dirty or distorted, then light is, it remains dark. And, and in the light within you, it is the darkness. So whether light gets into your heart depends on how or not see, I suppose. Do you see things clearly? He wants us to see things clearly. He wants us to see He wants us to see that clearly. But if we don't see it clearly, then our eyes are clouded and our hearts are dark. And we can't see God. We can't appreciate heavenly treasure. We don't understand or appreciate truth. And the result of that, by the way, is, and I wonder if this rings any bells for, for anybody here today, if we're not seeing properly, then the Bible is tough to read. Sermons are uncomfortable to listen to. Prayer is pointless. Church is boring. And there's no appetite for God. And folks, Jesus says, it's always going to be like that. If your eyes are bad, if your spiritual vision is clouded, if what you allow in through your eyes into your heart is actually darkness, that's the way it's going to be. And therefore we have a choice. Are we going to go with light or with darkness. Let's read it again. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So again, let me say, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Jesus is not saying, don't have money, don't have possessions, don't have treasure. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is, Be careful how you look at those things. Be careful what you see when you look at those things. Be careful that actually you see the importance of not earthly treasure alone, but heavenly treasure especially. And what happens is materialism blocks out the light of of Christ. And we see that in the Bible so often. Esau, Solomon, Demas, just to mention three. Now, Kent Hughes uh, spells out the dangers of, of a materialistic worldview. He talks about dark sight. Sounds a contradiction in terms, but I think it's quite helpful. Dark sight clouds the way we see things, or in this case, don't see things. Isn't it wonderful today? The sun is shining, it's bright, it's light, we can see things clearly. If it was like yesterday and was cloudy and dull and dark and miserable, this is the kind of picture we're supposed to have here in our minds. But if we have dark sight, verse 23, then we cloud, it clouds the way we look at life. We see life is just simply about accumulating things, about being happy here on earth, about contentment here on earth. It's about joy and satisfaction here on earth. And our view of these things are, are warped. It also clouds our, our vision of success. We never seem to be satisfied. Enough always seems to be out of reach. It clouds our vision of people and the sense how we... Um, how we join in or don't join in the scramble for the things of the world and how we judge people who do that. 
And sometimes we say of people who um, don't seem to be chasing after the things of the world, we say, I mean, is there something wrong with them? I mean, are they lazy? Do they lack ambition? Well, that might be the case, or it might be the case, actually, they're thinking of the treasure in heaven. Might be. But boys, if we've got dark sight, we can't see it clearly. And here, mums and dads, is something for you, because dark sight affects, clouds our vision of our children. So when it comes to their education or their employment or their marriage partners, we are not led by the light. We're led by darkness. And it's right for us to want the best for our children. But what is the best for our children? It's right for us to think about children who are in care, who don't have a mummy and a daddy. But is it just to bring them into a materialistic world and say, here's lots of toys, give you a good education, go off to university, get a good job, and then die? Is that what it's all about? It's not what Donna was talking about. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus was a carpenter. Forgive me if you're a joiner or work in that sector of industry, but you know it's it's a manual job. Jesus wasn't a professor. And we forget that the disciples were mostly working-class men. John Piper talks about fatal success. I'm sure you've heard us talk about that before, fatal success when it comes to parenting. And his fear is that in the evangelical church, we seek to create a generation of educated, successful, rich pagans. Why? Because we've forgotten to see what's really important treasure in heaven rather than treasure on earth. Moms and dads, grannies and granddads, a couple here brought their little one to be baptized today. Grace and David, let us not sacrifice our children on the altar of materialism. Let's not sacrifice our children to the God of secular success. Let's not sacrifice our children to the God of money and stuff. It's a tragic waste. You don't want to get to old age and look back and say, what have we done? Jesus, of course, calls us to self, to die to self, to take up the cross, to suffer for the gospel. And he looks upon me and all of us, and I wonder, what does he see? Here's the saddest thing, I suppose, that so many who are in the blindness of dark sight, the blindness of dark sight, they don't even know it. They deny that they're in that position. Oh, not me. No, no, not me. They deny such teaching, and they probably say, this is ridiculous. Why is he wasting so much time on these two verses? It doesn't apply to me. It doesn't apply to us in our PC. People who are actually blinded by dark sight find that actually greed reigns, self reigns, darkness truly blinds. So how is my sight? 
That's the challenge I've been living with this week, and I pass it on to you. What is your sight like? Or is it bright sight, verse 22? If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Oh, you see things differently. Oh, you, oh it's, it's such a difference. You see the value in having the necessities of life and a few luxuries as well. Boy, that's great to have holidays and cars, isn't it? And clothes and have money to spend. Wonderful. But we see treasure in heaven. Investment in ministry here in Richill and beyond. So we hold lightly to the things of the world and tightly to the things of God. We see things and people and time in a different way. That's what bright sight brings. And with bright sight, my ambition is I'm not going to waste my life. With, with bright sight, my ambition says I'm not just going to wait until I get to... Um, Retirement, and then I'm going to spend my money in whatever way I want. With, with bright sight, my ambition is I'm not going to plunge myself into moral darkness. Dark sight, bright sight. Which sight is it? Jesus says there are two types of sight. I think we need to be becoming people who see that life is very, very short, and eternity is very, 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 very long. And there are lots of people who are absolutely lost and they need our Jesus. So that's contrasting visions. Lastly, and quickly, contrasting masters, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here's a more basic choice. I suppose one affects the other. And what we have is um, both are totalitarian. Um, Both demand full devotion. You see that? If you don't boss money and possessions, if you don't boss money and possessions, you'll find that money and possession will boss you. Now, some disagree. Oh, uh, this is all very possible. I can do it. I can manage it. Maybe other people can't, but I can because I can serve God on Sundays and really then I suppose I can chase after the possessions the rest of the week. Or I can serve God with my lips and actually serve the world with my heart. Or I can serve God in appearance, but actually I serve myself in reality. And Jesus says, impossible. Impossible. Possible. No one can serve two masters. Either you hit the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Yeah, yeah, you can work for two employers, you can work for two employers, but you can't serve two masters. That's very important. Because being a being a slave or a servant means that you are loyal and dedicated twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And of course, they're mutually exclusive at the end. You cannot serve both God and money. As we conclude this morning, we've got to realize, folks, that everything we own is either a tool for his glory or it's an idol to worship and adore. Yes, we enjoy necessities and luxuries of life. How good is God to us as, as families and individuals? And it's okay to possess things, but it's not okay for things to possess us. So we've got these contrasting choices. Don't make the bad or the wrong choice. And often I do, often we do. And if we do continually without repentance, we will shipwreck our faiths. We will ruin our families. And we will pass down to the next generations a pattern of evil behavior. So two treasures, earthly and empty, or heavenly 
and eternal. Two visions, dark sight, which is empty, or light sight, which is eternal. Or two masters, money and possessions, which are empty, and our Savior and God, who is eternal. Again, what did we say at the beginning? This is not for our information. It's for our transformation to equip us for life and for ministry. Do you want to be equipped for life? Then we've got to ask, what do we value? How do we see things? And what's our relationship like with God? So whether you're young or old, whether you're working or retired, whether you're married or single, whether you have lots of money or little money, whether you are financially comfortable or financially struggling, where is your treasure, asks Jesus. Where is your treasure? And what affects your vision? And who is your master? May God lead us to truth and to blessing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity of these pictures, these choices. You've left us in no doubt. By your Spirit, we ask that you will apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. And may we provide the fruit of godly living for you and for others to see, for your glory. Amen.